Jesse Single, how's it going? I'm good, Katie. I'm uh, worried I'm getting a little bit too big for my britches. Have you uh, gained some weight this this holiday season? <laughs> I was going to make the same joke. We're so similar. Yeah. I'm in Austin, and last night uh, we're recording this. What day is it? Thursday. Does know? Thursday. Last night I was out to dinner with my girlfriend at a place called Magnolia. It was excellent. It's like a diner with Tex-Mex stuff. This young kid, maybe 20 years old, comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. Were you on Joe Rogan? Whoa. And I was like, yeah. And I was feeling pretty good, you know. Uh, but then he reaches out his hand. He's like, yeah, what's your name? So he so he doesn't he just knew me as a Rogan thing. He had no idea. he didn't really know who I was. No, so he just watches all of the all of the videos and doesn't absorb any of it. I guess so. That's what's weird about it is I figured most people listen but didn't uh, watch. But then he introduced himself as Blaze. That's his first name, Blaze. Interesting. And he said that Joe Rogan is quote. Let me make sure I get this right. The patron saint of stoner educators. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's pretty pretty eloquent. Uh, so shout out to Blaze at Magnolia Cafe. Uh, keep enjoying my work and, uh, yeah. you know, if and when you figure out who I am. <laughs> I wonder if this would happen anyplace outside of Austin. Uh, no, I think, I think Rogan secretly runs this place and no one wants to admit it. Is it a secret? No, it's probably not really much of a secret. Do the locals like him there, I wonder? I think, I mean, I haven't been asking them. I think there's obviously G3. You need to start, go do like a man on the street thing and just ask people what they think of Joe Rogan. I actually should have done that. I think it's a mix of like, you know, straightforward social justice-y lefties, but then like it's Austin. So there's this like Texan libertarian component. There's lots of weirdos here. And I feel like a lot of weirdos like Joe Rogan. Is Austin still, you remember they used to, years ago, they had the keep Austin weird stickers. Is Austin still weird? Mm, from my point of view, coming from Brooklyn, it's very weird. I, I suspect it's getting less weird. It's just the West is so different. So like all like pull into a coffee shop listed on Google Maps and it's like a sprawling compound with like four buildings and like hmm. all this outdoor seating. It's just they have so much space out here that everything's like sort of a big deal. But the food is genuinely amazing. Do they have drive through bikini barista stands there? <laughs> I've not seen any of those. I've seen a lot of like very uh, old school drive through burger joints. Just like the signage is all very like, uh, I don't know, Pulp Fiction, I guess. Well, next time you're in the Pacific Northwest, you got to check it out. This is this might just be a Pacific Northwest thing, but in Oregon and in Washington, it is not uncommon to like find a coffee shop that's not a coffee shop. It's in like a little hut on the side of the road, and the baristas all wear bikinis or like thongs or whatever. Really, they're just serving you yeah. the coffee in a thong. Isn't it cold? Yeah, I, I have to say, I've never been to one. I assume that they heat them. Do you think they wear flannel over it? <laughs> they just wear big, thick, smart wool socks. Katie, I could thongs. never go to a place like that. And you know why? Mm, why? You're a feminist? I fucking love women. Yeah, that's why. Like, not just love. love. I'm obsessed. Well, I think that the thing to do would be to go to one of these and then give them all of your money because you love women. Go to one of them and then open my trench coat and I'm also wearing a bikini in, so <laughs> in, in solidarity. <laughs> I bet that has happened before. Katie, what is the name of this perverted podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. And if the calendar on my computer is correct, the year is winding down. Thank God. Yes, it has not been the best one. You know, there's no way that 2020 can be any worse than 2021. Wait, that 2020 could be worse? Is the next year 2020? 
Oh, wait, 2022, whatever, 2022. Well, we thought that 2020 was as bad as it would be, and then it wasn't. Things can always get worse. Remind yourself that. No, I've, I like, this is, I think, genuine wisdom that I, it's so important that I've actually tweeted it, and I rarely tweet. You need to remember uh-huh. things can always get worse. They can always or get worse. Or they can stay the same or get better. Yeah, <laughs> that's super deep. No, they can always get worse. Like, you need to, it's very easy to say, appreciate what you've got, but uh, we don't tend to do that. Um, speaking of which, I was listening to NPR this morning, as always, for some reason. And I heard, have you noticed that people on Twitter and elsewhere seem to be, like, I thought that after the, after Biden won the election, that people would stop being as crazy. Uh, that does not, <laughs> like, it's like on resistance Twitter, that doesn't seem to have happened. And I'm seeing lots of um, catastrophizing about 2024. And this morning, I was listening to NPR, and they had a Yale professor, Timothy Snyder. And he said, and I couldn't believe this, so I looked it up, he said that he thinks the most likely scenario for the 2024 election is someone, and he didn't say this, but I think he meant Trump, loses both the popular vote and the electoral college and is yet installed as president of the United States. The most likely scenario. Installed by who? Who knows? Mitch McConnell, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I there's definitely catastrophizing. I'm I'm obviously he did try to steal an election and he I think he would Trump did. Um I don't I think people like over I was arguing with this uh with a smart about this with a smart friend. I think people maybe underestimate how hard that would be to do but i don't know you look at 2020 if a few like trump lackeys had been in key positions it would have at least gotten a little bit sweaty and and scary yeah i mean as much as i complain about our failing institutions i still think that we have some like pretty strong guardrails in place to prevent against uh you know somebody stealing the election and then being installed as president after losing both the popular vote and the electoral college but that's just me yeah no always the well i know i I think, yeah, that's you. Very optimistic. In theory, I think that's true. It's just the the attempt has been so brazen and so broadcast for so long that um, I disagree with the idea that it's like particularly likely, but I see why people are worried. Well, we'll see. So much to look forward to. So um, we're going to do something a little bit different and special on this episode. But before we get to that, uh, speaking of uh, fun, fear-mongering topics, we got a fair amount of feedback about our last episode where we talked about the science of masks. What would be a good way to sum it up, Katie? Basically that people – I think we basically said people overestimate the evidence we have for masks, especially in situations like kids um, or schools and that um, you know, some of the studies suggest that the masks we wear a lot aren't that great, right? Right. And this was in the context of, a, of talking about the sort of um, – idealization of science, yeah, like quote unquote yeah. science, believe the science. You know, so after we recorded this episode, I had to go to Seattle and I was driving uh, driving just through the city on the interstate. And there's a giant house on the side of I-5 that's lit up. It's like very large. You can see it from the freeway. And in giant lit up letters, it says, Science is God. No, that's like a right-wing troll. No one could – oh, my God. No, it, it literally says that. And I looked it up, and it's some, it's some like, fringe religious guy. So I don't know what his exact politics are. Um, but, yes, science is God written on a house. Uh, um, well, I, I want to just address very quickly a couple of criticisms. One is that uh, some of the research we cited came from studies with mannequins rather than humans. I don't think in this context that's that big a deal. Wait, mannequins rather than humans? Yeah. Wait, so mannequins breathing? 
Well, made it like to try to figure out where the droplets spread and how they if they could get to like various face holes. Uh, which I don't. Okay. I think if you're just studying the spread of aerosol dro- of droplets, I don't think that's necessarily a big deal. It's not like taking a medical finding from a mouse and applying it to a human. Did they have like an aerosol machine spraying out droplets, or did they have were the mannequins supposed to be breathing? Yeah, no, I think that's the idea is that they had ways of moving the droplets around, and they could see after different amounts of time with them circulating in the room which ones would get like into the mannequins basically okay gotcha um but so yeah and then of course there were people basically like one or two people warning us we were like getting dangerously close to being like anti-mask or coming across that oh i'm anti-mask i hate wearing fucking masks okay but you hate wearing masks but you're not opposed you wouldn't refuse on principle to wear masks in a crowded situation I wear masks when they're required of me. And Max, no other time. You wear, I wear masks. Max. I wear I wear a mask when it's required by law or by policy. If it's a business's policy, I will wear a mask. But if I don't have to wear one, I'm not going to wear one. Yeah. I mean, with Omicron, things are maybe a little bit different. But um, yeah, I mean, and we are triple. We are triple vaxxed, which just makes it yeah. a little bit different. I am triple vaxxed as of yesterday, and my arm is fucking killing me. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you're triple vaxxed. So. These shots are just brutal on the arm. Um, yeah, don't get me started on these vaccines. Right. Well, here, let me complain about vaccines for a second here. Not that I think vaccines are bad, but they have done, and in, in where I live, they've done a really bad job. There's a huge demand for boosters right now, and they've done a terrible job of of, of uh, providing them. So they're, instead of doing like, in my county, instead of doing like the health, you can go to the health department or your doctor or whatever, they're only being channeled at this point through drugstores. There aren't that many drugstores, and they all have you have to, you're supposed to get an appointment. And so I'm trying to get a booster before I'm, I'm taking a cross country trip, going back to North Carolina. I wanted to get the, the booster before that. And all of the appointments were three weeks to a month out. There's one brand of drugstores, Rite Aid, where they do walk-ins for an hour a day. So you have to get there an hour early to stand in line and they only serve the, fi- the first 15 people. So at the same time that they're telling people, get boosted, get boosted, it's also almost impossible to get a fucking booster. It's so frustrating. I think so so many elements of, of America's response to this, including things like testing and access to tests. I heard something on the radio about how tests that cost like one euro in Europe cost right. like 25 times that. It's just – we have a pretty broken country. Indeed. Let's fix it. Okay. Um, I just – so I just wanted to be clear. Uh, for one thing, like we talked about how there might be a difference – of 25 minutes before getting infected inside versus 15, even for a crappy mask. That, just to be clear, that could make a pretty big deal if you're just running in to go shopping or get coffee. Someone else said that we sort of ignored the fact that some of the fancier masks are actually pretty gettable and not as uncomfortable as um as you you mentioned your wife saying. That may well be. Like if you're And that's gonna... about the N95. Yeah, yeah. Um if you're going to be – if you have to be around a lot of people for work, you should obviously get a, get a good mask. Uh, but I just – I think overall we stand by what we're saying because we were talking a lot about situations like schools or restaurants where you're sitting there for an hour and a half and you like have to wear a mask walking to the table and then you sit down and take it. Right. That, a lot of that stuff it's is theater. just theater. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, and then when you talk about kids using cloth or surgical masks and they're, they're kids, they're fidgety. I don't think it's in anyone's interest to pretend that that's offering much protection, though luckily kids are pretty protected by dinner being kids. Any Anything else on this, Katie? Yeah, a couple things. Um, 
There is a really good discussion about this on our Substack page. And if uh, you're not a member, you can join us at blockedandreported.org. And one person pointed out in particular that masks are especially difficult for kids learning to read because if you're, I don't know, in kindergarten or first grade or whatever, and you're learning to read, part of that is, is watching the teacher form, form words, form mouth sounds, mouth movements or whatever. And it's really hard in this sort of phonetic way of learning reading to pick up on that if somebody is wearing a mask. Um, I thought that was, that was a, a very interesting comment. Um, another thing I, uh, I talked to a friend of mine recently who's a teacher and his students are all masked and he hates it because he can't tell who's talking. And so if you, ha- so, and he also doesn't like, doesn't know what his students even sort of look like at this point. He can, cause he can only see, you know, the top three inches of their head. Um, so I think that there, you know, there are really good reasons to be concerned about the effect that this is going to have on kids. And the fact is, we live in a country where different states and different districts have different policies on this and a world where different different countries and districts have different policies on this. So it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult to figure out f- definitively if masks work in a school setting or if they're necessary in a school setting. Just compare fucking Georgia or wherever to California. Well, we mentioned in the episode there, there's been some studies and they just don't show much of anything right there's so that's that's my understanding of the literature um yeah so i just want to be clear on that i it, i will repeat to the day i die how frustrating it is that uh, there are all these subjects where it's like as soon as you inject some nuance you're like oh you sound right. like you might be an anti-masker which is like well whatever you don't believe the science yeah science is god right uh okay so that's it that's it for catch up on the mass stuff right yeah. Um, can I mention one other thing about our last episode? Yeah. So we went on a bit of a tangent about JK Rowling, about this uh, – she tweeted about this new policy in Scotland in which trans people will be recorded as not their natal sex if they're – for legal reasons, if they get in trouble with the law, but as their preferred gender. And so this happened – she tweeted about it like a week ago, of course, immediately starts trending – and then yesterday on Twitter, the story got a lot of traction. Let me just read you a headline, Jesse. This is from the Scottish Sun. Woman jailed for having cocaine-fueled sex with an Alsatian. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's a German shepherd. So this article doesn't mention at all that the woman uh, who, who fucked a dog – is a biological male. It doesn't say anything about transgender. The only way that you could tell is because of the mugshot published. It's like this person is very clearly male. And so the timing there <laughs> I thought was kind of perfect. Like J.K. Rowling is is complaining about this. And then a week later, we see this headline from a Scottish paper about a woman, quote unquote, woman fucking a dog. This isn't to say that women can or don't fuck dogs. I'm sure that this happens. I know so many women who fuck dogs. Well, in your in your circles, I wouldn't be surprised. But this is the sort of thing to me that demonstrates the, the flaws in this sort of policy. Because for one thing, the job of the media is to reflect the world as it is. This this idea that this was a woman who fucked a dog only is true if you believe that trans women are literal women. And this is not a settled question on this. And in fact, I think it's actually sort of a fringe position, although I'm becoming less fringe. But also, we've heard a lot about how people trust the media less and less. This is the sort of thing that is going to make you not trust the media. You see a picture and it directly contradicts the headline here. So anyway. A woman did not fuck this particular dog. It was a trans woman. No comment. (laughs) 
I did get some, uh, thanks to a friend of the pod whose name I won't mention here, I did get uh, uh, some statistics on uh, on animal fucking. And there's one store, one study that says, this is self-reported, so take it with a grain of salt, I, prefer, I, I suppose. 6.5% of males and 2.8% of females have had, quote, at least one sexual encounter with, a, with a, an animal. So less rare than you'd think. Uh, that's, I'm very surprised, A, how common it is. Be that men are only about three times as likely. As you know, of all people, I'm surprised that you're surprised. <laughs> um, I just read a novel. I started a novel just because it looked interesting, and it involved in part a woman fucking a dolphin, and that was a very uh, oh yeah, it was a surprise. So there's a famous story about that. Radio Lab did an episode about it a couple years ago. This was I. Yeah. I remember that. It was very good, Yeah, right? Yeah, and this was a – she was some sort of scientist or something like that, like animal behaviorist who was living in a house with a dolphin. It was very confusing. And uh, she – I don't think she – I think she, like, gave it a hand job or something. Um, We've all been there. We've all yeah. been there. The, room, the, drunk, the drunk roommate. Yeah. Just that, that one night. I mean, dolphins are very beautiful. Dolphins are incredible. Uh, if you're going to fuck an animal – I mean, I know for you, you prefer legs, but well, let, I, let's say dolphins. Let, no, let's – you know what? It's the end of the year. Let's rank this. <laughs> if you had to have sex with an, uh, with an animal, top three, go. Well, I mean, Moose has a huge penis, but I'm not really into that. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on. I'm okay. not doing this. <laughs> All right, so it has been a terrible year, but the only good thing- It gives a whole new me- meaning to the term heavy petting. <laughs> you stole that Sorry. from No Effects. There's a No Effects album called uh, Heavy Petting yes. Zoo. <laughs> uh, I think there is. Um, it's been a terrible year. As everyone knows, the one good thing that happened this year is this was the first full calendar year of Blockchain Reported, which is pretty exciting for uh, for humanity and its hopes for the future. Exactly. We wanted to just sort of uh, celebrate the end of the year. So we're basically doing a clip show where we're taking – we asked the people on our subreddit to generate a list of their favorite segments. So these are not entire episodes but sort of individual segments within an episode. Then we asked our primos, our premium subscribers, to vote on their favorites. And we came up with five, and we're going to play them for you and talk about them a little. All right. Let's do it. So the uh, number five comes from episode 79, and let's uh, just jump into it. Katie, I'm looking forward to this next segment because you and I love talking about video games. You're right. There's absolutely nothing I like to talk about better than Tetris. <laughs> All right, Katie. I, uh, I'm i going to call this segment the Legend of the Horny Sword. Oh, God. I'm already disgusted. What? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know – I've got a couple of questions before we get going. Do you know what a so-called dungeon crawler is? Of course not. <laughs> I guess. A dungeon crawler? I mean it yeah. sounds like some sort of uh, – like a creature that lives in dungeons. Yeah. Like a go- does... golem kind of creature. Yeah, or like a, a podcast listener just sort of hunched, <laughs> hunched in the dark corner. Um, okay, a dungeon crawler is a genre of game where you basically – you make your way through a dungeon, you kill monsters, and so-called loot pops out, like gold and different weapons, and you can equip your character. I've never played a video game, but this is what I've heard, a dungeon uh-huh, crawler. Is. Uh-huh. I, definitely, I definitely did not dump hundreds of hours into uh, – Diablo 2. Uh, do you know what a dating sim is? It sounds like a sex toy. Sort of. A dating sim is a video game. I associate it with the Japanese just because I I don't know. This could be a stereotype, but I find them to be very horny. Uh, it's like a... 
<laughs> usually an anime style game where you literally like date different people and you can choose different dialogue options of like you try to woo them. Um, I have played a lot of dungeon crawlers. I've never played a dating sim, but, but you're with me so far, right? Wait, 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 wait. I, I mean, I, I believe that this exists, but so it's the point of you're like sitting around on the couch arguing about to watch on TV. What is like, what's the point of this game? Well, so I think it depends on how our X-rated is. I think there's some dating sims that include like pretty graphic sex. Some are more just gotcha. like, you want to fall in love and get married, stuff like that. Oh, this is, I'm depressed already. <laughs> Right. So if you ever get in a fight with your wife, you can pull up a dating sim and simulate getting in a fight with your wife. Why would I do that? I don't know. This is what did you there's okay. literally one of the a, a well a good selling game right now is literally it simulates mowing the lawn. I'm not making that up. Is this for people who don't have lawns or are these for people who like are letting their grass grow while they while they sit inside and mow the lawn? I wish I knew, but there's like there's if there's a market for people who will control a simulated lawnmower. There's a market for people like horny shit. I see. Okay. So enter boyfriend dungeon. This is a new game. Uh, I think it's for the Nintendo switch, maybe other platforms too. I forgot to check. And honestly, who cares? It's a combination of a dungeon crawler and a dating sim. So Katie, just watch, watch the YouTube video I included there and, and let's get your reaction in real time. Boyfriend Dungeon. Okay. There's some music, looks like anime faces. Oh, like a Fabio type guy with a rose in his mouth. Date your weapons. Um, it's like a, like a, uh, it looks like Sim City kind of, but with, um, with, yeah, like with little dudes with, with swords and stuff. Like they're battling. They, all these, all these characters look very non-binary to me. <laughs> So you, so <laughs> I don't know why I just, I was curious to get your response to that. Okay. So that's, that's the game. The game includes a content warning at the beginning. This game may include references to unwanted advances, stalking, and other forms of emotional manipulation. Play with care. You choose, it's like a very woke game. You choose your character's pronouns when you're creating your character, according to a screenshot posted to Twitter. So here's what the Daily Dot, one of our favorite websites said. While the content warning for Boyfriend Dungeon isn't specific, it's referring to the game's primary antagonist, a man named Eric with whom your character is set up for a date. According to IGN's review, Eric's behavior, which includes intimidation and stalking, quickly becomes worrisome. And those interactions are vital to completing Boyfriend Dungeon's main story. Per Pink News' review, Eric also misgenders a non-binary character at one point, worst of all. A a fictional non-binary character, to be clear. Is misgendered by another fictional fictional gotcha. I I don't think this game should be legal based on what I'm hearing so far. Okay, so so you're with me so far. There's this game. It warns you right when you start it. This game has some heavy themes. If you don't want to be exposed to those themes, don't play it. Right. Right. Yeah. The this quote unquote controversy kicked off when Matthew Arcilla, managing editor at a site called Xbox Outsider, and I believe a, a legal adult. Here's what he wrote on August 13th. The game quickly establishes that this guy is utter nuclear waste, a completely radioactive, toxic person. That's great, sure. But he's also a stalker. He won't stop texting you no matter how rude you are to him. Can't even block his number. I did not consent to this. I know for some games this is just par for the course, but it's 2021 and I didn't ask Boyfriend Dungeon to place me into an extremely distressing situation which, from what I can tell, I cannot opt out of. Some reminded me there's a content warning, 
And I'm like, okay, I thought that meant backstory elements, not, quote, things that will happen to you, end quote. Okay, so did he, like, give this fictional guy his number? How is he being texted? Or is he being – is this part of the game? That's part of the game. You're texted in the game. You respond to text messages. So why doesn't he just turn the game off if he doesn't want to get texted? I mean uh, – <laughs> I, I love that line, I cannot opt out. Yeah, you can. I can turn it off. That's opting out. I cannot opt out. Uh, there's a really good line from Tyler, the creator, that includes – do you know what I'm referring to about cyberbullying? No. But Tyler, the creator, is a rapper. Yeah. Google Tyler, the creator, cyberbullying. Oh, oh, I do know this sign. Uh, I don't think we're allowed to say this. We're not. So this is from a tweet from 2012. Tyler, the creator, tweeted, How the fuck is cyberbullying real? Ha, ha, ha. Soft in, inward. Just walk away from the screen like soft in, inward. Close your eyes. Ha, ha, ha. And like – that's one thing because okay, it's obviously funny, but it is like if you're if you're a middle schooler and you're being cyberbullied by your peers, it's still real. In this case, it's a grown adult saying that he's being stalked in a video game that he could turn off at any time. But no, he cannot opt out, Jesse. He can't opt out. I cannot opt out of this game I have chosen to play. I wonder if he paid for the game that he that he now feels like he can't opt out. Maybe it's just that. It's just like I paid for it. I have to do it. Some cost like, like joining a gym. Yeah. So to their credit, I think like even video games journalists who who usually suck did not take the outrage bait here. But on the other hand, there's a, a, a site called Screen Rant that I think does a lot of like film and video game stuff. This is a direct quote. On Twitter, Alexander Gross, the voice actor for Eric in Boyfriend Dungeon, Eric is the bad dude, spoke out <laughs> – I can't even get through this. Spoke out about players sending him hateful messages for the actions of the character he played in the game. <laughs> Wait, so he's hey, being I- cyberbullied now? <laughs> Eric boyfriend, bad yes. boyfriend is being cyberbullied. Okay. He, he he wrote on Twitter, "Hey, I can't believe I have to address this, but please don't send me hate messages about my character in Boyfriend Dungeon." <laughs> I know I know he sucks, but I'm just the voice actor. Please be respectful. Oh my god, people are so dumb. Oh, I hate this whole story. It's so awesome because it's just like the the far extreme end of the whole like you get points for finding stuff to feel oppressed by or to be victimized by. So okay, so the guy who was complaining that there wasn't a more specific trigger warning, what was his name? I want to say who cares, but it was Matthew Ar- Arcilla Arkilla. Okay, so did Matthew? Did he get cyberbullied after posting this incredibly embarrassing tweet? He must have because his his Twitter account went private, which is like the uh, universal symbol of help. I'm being bullied. Yeah, absolutely. I hate to say it, we should never blame the victim, but in this case, he kind of brought it on himself. <laughs> what was it the Gawker who said like we need to bully nerds more? Yeah, yeah. Um, they should uh, in the next edition of, of of Boyfriend Dungeon. They should incorporate the Matthew character, <laughs> the whiner. Oh my god! Well, I'm uh, glad I was able to pollute your brain with that story, Katie. Any any further comments or questions? Fuck you, Jesse. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, we will be right back after this. Katie, is your reaction uh, to that, to to me telling you about Boyfriend Dungeon, and this is a direct quote, is your reaction that still, fuck you, Jesse? There isn't a little part of you that's happy you learned about the legend of the chronicle of the odyssey of the horny, anthropomorphic, possibly emotionally abusive sword? Fuck you, Jesse. (laughs) I'm not just mad at you for this. I'm also mad at our subredditors for nominating this and for our primo subscribers for selecting it as as a top clip for the year. 
You're all terrible people. Yeah, they really have a... I mean, we already knew they had bad taste because they're listeners to this podcast, but yeah. Uh, okay, that was number five. Number four comes from episode, get this, 69. Nice. So you're going to hear me talking about uh, getting lighter at the start of this next segment just to sort of situate you. That's because it came immediately after Katie and I <laughs> talked about euthanizing dogs that are too violent. And Katie started crying for the first time ever on the podcast, crying being a the thing. The first time ever, period. Crying being something she did not do during the podcast when we talked about my mom dying. You know what? I actually did cry when we were doing the podcast about your mom. I just did it very quietly so nobody knew. Just that wimpy, like, there was just like tears, like silently streaming down my face. You were like, we had to pause. You had the waterworks going, and uh, <sighs> we did not, I did not, no one nominated the euthanizing dog segment as one <laughs> of the best horrible. of the year. It was horrible. This, this came immediately after the euthanizing dog segment. Yes, this was maybe my least favorite episode of the year. The dog, wait, the dog one, you mean? The dog one. Yeah. Um, and and people were – a lot of people were like kind of disgusted with me that I cared so much about dog euthanasia. <laughs> like 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 seemed to think that this is a, a like real character flaw <laughs> that I got so upset when talking about dogs dying. I think – I don't think it's a character flaw. I think it's a character flaw in them for thinking it's a character flaw in me. Yeah. I mean, I just think you're a bad person, but uh, for a variety yeah, of reasons. Okay. okay. So this is not – just to make things not confusing, this is not the segment about – Dog euthanizing, this is what came exactly after number four. All right, so uh, I would say that we're going to get a little bit lighter, but this next segment involves a threatened machete attack on a human, so I'm not even sure. (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? It's not a dog. All right. Jesus Christ, this one was a mess. This was, like, unfortunately very much in our wheelhouse on multiple fronts. Okay, so there's a... um, and there's also a lot of names I'm going to fuck up. I promise I'm going to try my best not to. There's a novelist, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Adichie. pretty good, right? Adichie. I'm sorry. Chimamanda Adichie Adichie. Yeah. And uh, she's a very superstar Nigerian uh, novelist and author. And she's the author of Americana, um, We Should All Be Feminists, which was like a TEDx talk that, that was also a book. Okay. And uh, Beyonce, uh, Beyonce sampled it. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, she became, I'm doing really obnoxious air quotes now, controversial in 2017 after an interview in which she said the following. I'm taking Wait, this from let's her. just, you want to just play it? I got the clip. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just play that here. When people talk about, you know, are trans women women, my feeling is trans women are trans women. And I think if you've been, if you've lived in the world as a man with the privileges that the world accords to men, and then um, sort of change, switch gender. It, it's difficult for me to accept that then we can equate your experience with the experience of a woman who has lived from the beginning in the world as a woman and who has not been accorded those privileges that, that men are. I don't think it's a good thing to conflict everything into one. I don't think it's a good thing to talk about women's issues being exactly the same as the issues of trans women. What I'm saying is that gender is not biology. Gender is sociology. Okay, so so there was then subsequently a Facebook post where she she basically sort of apologized. Like she said, I don't want people to think that I'm saying any one set of experiences are like more important than the others or less valid. But she stood by that idea of there being a distinction uh, of this idea that, um, you know, trans women, at least those who transition later in life, have had some exposure to male privilege. And that might cause them to have had different experiences than 
you know, natal um, biological females, uh, cisgender women. So, did you just say biological female? I know. What is this hate speech? I know. And during Pride, no less. <laughs> oh God. Um, okay, so this is something that's actually it's come up frequently. And um, in, in 2017, I wrote about a philosopher named Rebecca Tuval. She had this again, quote unquote, infamous paper where she basically said. When you look at the arguments for accepting transgender people as the sex or gender they experience, you could use those same arguments to accept transracial people. This was very controversial. Uh, another philosopher accused her – this is from a, a, a Facebook post. I'll just read it directly. She refers to, quote, a male-to-female MTF trans individual who could return to male privilege, end quote, promoting the harmful transmisogynistic ideology that trans women have at some point had male privilege. I have had so much trouble understanding – I can see context in this – in which this is like offensive because you pointed out it in a certain way. But how is this like not true? Like if the concept of male privilege exists, looking male and presenting as male and being male brings you male privilege, right? What am I missing here? Okay. I mean, I think you were obviously correct on this. I think the argument on the other side is that like Grace Lavery has written that female is it or that women, because it's this like social construct that, that, that basically feminine men are treated as women in society. First of all, no. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be my first response. No. Cause like, let's say there's a guy who, um, you know, comes across as stereotypically gay in certain ways. He still moves through the world as male. And even if he's very on the sort of femme side of male presenting, he still gains certain benefits from being seen as male, even just like what he fears walking through a parking lot at night. It's just not the same thing at all, right? I mean, I'm sure that there are some some males, particularly effeminate males, who I'm sure like do fear walking around at night and some who are victimized uh, because of their their femininity. I'm, I'm sure that that's true. But Sure, but that's just not the same as saying male presenting people don't experience male privilege. Of course, it's different kinds of male privilege in different degrees. I mean, I just think that the, that like the more important thing is like you don't share similar experiences. You might have there like there might be tinges of the same experience, but this idea that like it to me it's not even about the male privilege thing. It's just this distinction that yes, at a certain point in your life like your experiences are different based on what sex you are. This is just true. Right. And this and this ties and of, into, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. And part of that is is physical. It's not yeah. about just about the way you're treated in society. It's about things like getting your period or whatever. Like it's about these these biological realities that most women have that are not going to be that just don't translate to the male experience. I will never know what it's like to have a occipital bump on the back of my head, for instance. <laughs> um and you will never know what it's like to have menstrual cramps. Yeah, I, I I find this stuff very depressing because it seems it's not presented this way, but it's actually pretty far removed from the question of like human rights for transgender people. It is this strain of just straight up denialism about biological sex and and the possibility that it really does shape our lives in certain ways. And it really, I, I get what you're saying that maybe the, the the strongest way into that isn't the privilege thing because it gets complicated. Although I don't, I still don't think it gets that complicated. But the point is, she got in trouble for saying trans women are trans women instead of trans women are women. And um, right. there are differences. Wh there. Where do you stand on this on this question? On what question? Are trans women women? I think trans women are women as a statement is sometimes a way of saying they should be treated as women, which I agree with. If it means they're, it's just, it's such a, it's, it's such a fucking gotcha because obviously one of the definitions of woman is a biological female. 
I mean, I don't think that there is an, any other definition. This is the issue. There is no other, like the definition, uh, the definition of woman is an adult human female. This is the definition. And the only way to describe what a woman is, is to use the term female because every other description resorts to stereotypes. I think there's there's a social sense in which you point to someone and say that woman over there and you're yeah at at root you're saying I expect that person is biologically female but you're basically just saying they look like they have the phenotypical or the dress characteristics of a woman. Right. And you can and this is it, it's such a stupid argument that I almost wish that we weren't talking about it because it the question really shouldn't be is this person a literal female or a literal woman, the question should be, how is this person treated treated in society? Does this person have legal rights? Can this person be kicked out of their housing because of how they identify or whatever? Exactly. And it, it gets very um, – I mean we'll see as we get deeper into this story. It becomes sort of like a religious mantra where um, I, I just – I think that's sort of a trap. I understand it's like become a common mantra, but I, I – Again, if the question is they, should they be treated as women, my argument all along is like 99% of the time, I don't think it brings anyone grief. I think there's a small number of settings where we should talk about compromise because it requires compromise and, and we know what those are. But um, yeah, you get in so much trouble for denying that sentence and it's just not a, a, a well-constructed statement because it's obviously designed to be provocative because I think everyone knows that the main definition of woman often doesn't apply here. Can I – before we move on, can I – give you a, a definition of woman that I saw today from Grace Lavery. Yeah, I don't want you to – yeah, you're welcome. You're just Let's just be clear. You're the one poking this particular hornet's nest, not me. Okay. Yeah. This is on Twitter. Grace said, A woman is a person who is or has been presumed to adopt a passive role in sexual intercourse and a reproductive role in economic life. It's just – it's just I mean this is like the Andrea Long Chu thing where she's just like a woman is basically someone who like gets – Who is abused. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. just insane because in – in any other situation, that would be seen as so offensive, but no one can say it's offensive. So offensive. I mean, it's fucking. Uh, also, if you actually like break down that definition, it's so it's so problematic. So if someone is in a caretaking role, they're a woman. Right. Woman. I, yep. I just can't. Sorry. I. The problem is, in my engagements with her, there's a degree of just like trolling and making shit up about people. Um, I, I feel like this has to be trolling. She can't honestly think that's a workable definition, right? I don't know. I mean, this is some like postmodern <sighs> shit that I don't understand. Why do you keep bringing this person up, Katie? <sighs> I was trying to distract myself from the dead dogs. <laughs> We're going to get a kid during Okay, pride. anyway. <laughs> so uh, Adichie's in the news because she published this essay that quickly went very viral. It is called It Is Obscene, A True Reflection in Three Parts. If you go to www.chimamanda.com, this is her whole website now. So the first two parts of this are about fellow Nigerian writers who she, I think, both participated in her workshop, who she took under her wing. And she says both these people just like basically threw me under the bus in a gross way after the 2017 controversy. Um, Part three is just like a diagnosis of our cultural moment that people are went super viral because it's so well written. Let me just read these and then I'll get to the specific uh, person we want to talk about. Um, in certain young people today, like these two from my writing workshop, I notice what I find increasingly troubling, a cold-blooded grasping, a hunger to take and take and take but never give. A massive sense of entitlement, an inability to show gratitude, and ease with dishonesty and pretension and selfishness that is couched in the language of self-care. I just think that's great. Uh, and then at the end, 
And so we have a generation of young people on social media so terrified of having the wrong opinions that they have robbed themselves of the opportunity to think and to learn and to grow. I've spoken to young people who tell me they're terrified to tweet anything, that they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. God help us. It is obscene. Okay. Lot going on there. In in part two, she didn't like just hint. She didn't mention either of the people she's talking shit about, but she left so many obvious bread trails, uh, breadcrumbs that it's like it's clear. In part two, she's talking about uh, Ukweki Umazi, uh, Umazi, sorry, Umazi, E M E Z I E. This was a uh, mentor, a protege of hers. Um, Amazi came out as non-binary. I'll, I'll try to keep their pronouns straight. They're they, them. And around the same time, uh, Amazi was saying truly unhinged stuff about Adichie's stance on trans people. Their book initially included in the bio section about Amazi, Amazi stuff about their relationship uh, with Adichie. So this is like if I threw you under the bus and then my biography was like <laughs> mentioned you as someone I worked with and I'm trying to like – trade off your name that's pretty fucked up no i plan on doing that too if i ever publish a book but yes it's fucked up okay so a quick amazing i I should give in this background they are like a super famous young nigerian writer i think they're only like 33 tv deals multiple novels uh cover of time magazine Seven books. Jesus. Why am I so lazy and untalented? Um, and, and they gave a lot of credit, uh, privately to Adichie, well, and publicly that Adichie helped along their career, uh, via this workshop and, and saying nice things about their book. And, um, so Amazie came out as non-binary and then that sort of made them one of the supposed victims of Adichie, who also uh, defended JK Rowling, whole other rabbit hole, but basically said that uh, Adichie thought what Rowling said was uh, reasonable. Okay, so here's a tweet from early 2021. I trust that there are other people who will pick up machetes to protect us from the harm transphobes like Adichie and Rowling seek to perpetuate. I, however, will be in my garden with butterflies trying to figure out how to befriend the neighborhood crows. Find me on the gram. And then there's a butterfly emoji. This is like basic. I'm sorry. People were trying to like explain this away. I trust that there are other people who will pick up machetes. I mean, can you imagine if either of us said, I trust other people, like, I think this is a very maybe Nigeria-specific thing, but, like, I trust other people will pick up guns to protect us against our online net. It's pretty close to an incitement of violence. I'm not saying someone is actually going to attack Adichie, but that's, like, incredibly fucked up. And the part of this that I, I, I'm sorry, but I can't resist pointing out is this is someone who... Uh, I know you're not supposed to say this, but like they are completely gender conforming, correct? Well, okay, so they appear to be like very feminine presenting. If you saw this person on the street, you would 100% say this is a female. Has had top surgery. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but but like other than the fact that they no longer have tits, this is a this person for all the world looks very female. And and I bring this up not because. I am in favor of misgendering or like I'm not try- – but my point is they're saying I am being harmed by J.K. Rowling and, and Adichie and I just – I don't think that's true and I think that's what justifies I'm, – I'm so threatened that I want people to pick up a machete and hurt them is like pretty fucked up. In a way, it's sort of like opting into 
a diagnosis that you might not actually have? Like, does this person suffer from gender dysphoria? I don't know. They came out as non-binary, not as trans. But this is not, you know, Adichie was not, she was taught, like, first of all, what she said wasn't transphobic. It was a statement of fact. Um, but it also had nothing to do with, like, non-binary there's no connection to a Maisie's situation. I guess the, I mean, I guess, I guess the, it'd be the like slippery slope argument where first you say trans women aren't women and next thing you know, people are like beating non-binary people in the street. But they're, I mean, non-binary, like, you know, it's like, I, in some ways it's like trans light, I guess. People take it very seriously, but it does not, to me, it oftentimes seems more like a political identification than any sort of like actual gender dysphoria. And and I think like in much the same way that if you say that there's no difference between trans women and cisgender women, it sort of um, kneecaps your ability to talk about feminism or or problems women face in general. Similarly, if we can't – if you are a female person and you present in a female normative manner, you do not face most of these threats. Like when, when trans people are harmed, it's because they are perceived as not fitting into the box they're supposed right. to fit in. If you fit into the box that society expects you to fit in, I'm not saying no one has like harassed this person or threatened or threatened them, but like it's it just it seems different and it does seem like this thing of you're trying to um I mean I, I wrote about this in my newsletter, I called it weaponized fragility, or I, I didn't come up with that, but it's like you're you're presenting yourselves as so besieged that anything you say is justifiable, including a threat of violence, and I, I just think that's unacceptable. Oh yeah, totally. So you're against you're against machete attacks. It depends. Depends on who. What if it's someone who's trying to hurt a dog? Fucking kill the fucker. Kill the fucker. Attack <laughs> that person. Depends on the dog, actually. Did you see Amizi's response to this? Uh, yeah, it was weird. Maybe we should drop in a little of that here. Yeah. By this time next year, I will have published seven books in four years. Seven books in four. Just wait. By next summer, you understand what I'm talking about. But like... It's my birthday month. It's my book's birthday. I'm on the cover of Time magazine. Like, I'm in my house with Goose Pompon, who is sleeping in his little baskets, you know, being adorable. Like, I am loved. <laughs> Mostly by myself. I mean, like, actually, very much by other people and by, like, my chosen family. But more, like actually by myself and it's worth it you know i write a lot about this in the memoir but really this whole thing of building your own world building your own reality the sacrifices the costs all of that it is worth it um and yeah and so even in the face of all the shit that's going down today i can just be like oh no i'm not engaging with that i'm just going to poke my head in, remind us that, you know, that we matter, that we're important, that our worlds are fucking bigger than anything that these people can imagine, and that we don't even have to be legible to them. We don't have to be validated by them. I'm not going to read what Homegirl wrote and do like a blow-by-blow, like, rebuttal of it, because I'm not even going to read it, because last, last... The level of just like narcissism and just strangeness with this person, I don't know. This per they are they are this response embodies the complaint that Adichie had in the first place. 
Yeah, as people pointed out. Yeah, yes. just this this attitude of just like, I don't know. It's very narcissistic, sort of throwing other people under the bus. All that matters is me, me, me. It's self-aggrandizing. Yeah, incredibly so. It's arrogant. Uh, I, I just found this um, – well, I guess it's good because Adichie's essay really did resonate. And I think it maybe drew more people into like how crazy this stuff is getting that you can be accused of being a murderer for saying there's differences between trans women and cisgender women. I, I just think that's nuts. Now, I guess we have to talk about the Vox thing, don't we? Oh, yeah. We definitely have to talk about the Vox thing. This will be the fun part of the podcast. This was like really – I I can only – this is not an unusual sentiment for me, but I just couldn't really believe – Vox published this. Although I guess if you say that over and over again, you should no longer be surprised. Right. So this piece, when this crossed my feed, uh, it is entitled Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Cancel Culture Screed is a Dangerous Distraction. And this crossed my feed. And this was one of these cases where I knew the byline before I clicked the article. It is by Asia Romano, who I believe- <laughs> I was going to say, sh- sh- clearly Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Iglesias came back just for a, just for a day to post this. <laughs> And this is this piece is just there are so many fantastic lines in this piece. We should just go through a couple of them. So in the headline, it is a screed. In the piece, Romano what writes, earlier this week, Adichie published a lengthy and eloquent takedown of cancel culture on her personal website. Lengthy and elegant versus dangerous screed. Um, screed. Yeah. So yeah. it starts there. And then we get into, of course, the highlight of the essay. It is not precisely clear what prompted Adichie's essay, though many observers has, have questioned her motives in choosing to publish it during Pride Month. <laughs> during Pride. Pride. And then later in the piece, she writes, they write, I think maybe Asia's a they, in November 2020, during Transgender Awareness Week, The Guardian published an interview with Adichie in which she articulated her dislike of cancel culture. During Transgender Awareness Week? Can you believe it, Jesse? To, to that sort of double hit of doing it during the week and then during the month is just inexcusable. It's sort of like if somebody criticized you, are like, it's my birthday month. <laughs> what are you doing? Can you? Well, this Vox article went up during Female Nigerian Novelist Appreciation Hour. <laughs> That's crazy. That's like a, that, a, that Romano would be a hate crime. oblivious to that. It's just incredibly offensive. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's the most, it's the lamest fucking response. Dur- so there's a month during which no one can publish anything that anyone who's LGBT finds offensive. And keep in mind that the threshold for now offense for offensive is now things like trans women are not exactly the same as cisgender women. Okay, we'll just shut shut everything down. We should mention that both of us have violated this particular rule because both my detransition piece and your piece on trans kid <laughs> in the Atlantic were published during Pride Month. Well, no, my but it was funny. Mine was in the July August issue, but they put it online a few days before the end of the month. <laughs> During Pride. And this is one of the things that people said that were the people who were mad at us said for, in both cases was during Pride Month. How could you during Pride Month? This sacred holiday brought to you by Spirit Off Vodka. The Atlantic emailed me and they're like, what? Because this is what happens when you write a mag- magazine article. When do you want this to run? What month? And I was like, definitely during Pride. <laughs> oh, yeah. You definitely get to get the choice to to dictate when your work is published in, uh, in magazines. This, so this article is just like – What's crazy to me is is Romano basically says um, – I'm trying to find the quotes, but but she says – she comes very close to saying that if, if Adishi didn't want this to happen, didn't want to be threatened with machete and so on, she just should have shut the fuck up. Like she had yeah. a choice to not talk more about this issue. Romano also accuses 
uh, Adichie of refusing to say trans women are women. So not only do you have to agree with it, you have to actively say it or you're part of the problem. Have you had people – like I've had people on Twitter that I fight – that I'm like in a fight with say like just say it. Trans women – like you won't say it. Will you say it? Trans women are women. And I won't say it because – especially in a context like that because I don't – I don't respond when people demand that I – repeat platitudes i wouldn't say the sky is blue if people ask, no. demanded i say it in a given context no fucking way no fucking way yeah. okay so um there's a couple other great points in this essay so she quotes she quotes the the bbc channel 4 interview with uh with um adichie she says i'll just read the end of this so people can remember this is from the clip that we played earlier i don't think it's a good thing to conflate everything into one i don't think it's a good thing to talk about women's issues being exactly the same as the issues of trans women what i'm saying is that gender is not biology gender is sociology and then uh aj romano writes adichie's point that trans women have very different experiences than sister gender women is well made and very important okay so let's just pause on that <laughs> So the whole point, the the whole reason that she is considered transphobic is she said that trans women and cis women have different experience. Asia Romano just said this is a well-made and very important point. Uh... Continuing. Here is why she thinks that this is well-made and important. Trans women experience higher rates of sexual assault and domestic violence, homelessness, suicide, and suicide attempts than transgender women, and they're more likely to be re-victimized when they seek support. So her point is that, yes, there is a difference. The difference is that trans women have it worse. And then she says, further, Adichie's insistence that gender is tied to sociology, not biology, is a crucial distinction in the debate over trans right, one backed by science. And there, the word science links to an article in Science Magazine about people with intersex oh conditions. That's really, like, offensive. It's not the – it's a fucking – it's not this – it's offensive. It's actually offensive. You are conflating these two things that really have nothing to do with each other, like chromosomal disorders and gender identity. This is – I love – I didn't notice this, but – um. She includes uh, AJ Romano includes a line as Emily Crockett explained in Vo- for Vox in 2017. Quote: When trans activists and, and allies say that trans women are women, they're not actually trying to say that transgender women are the same as cisgender women. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So sure. it's it's a it is such an important motto that if you don't say it, you are basically a murderer. But also the motto doesn't mean what the motto clearly appears to mean. Right. This, this is all crystal clear. I don't see how anyone can be confused about this. I, there's nothing to worry about here. So I think you can find Asia Romano's motivation in the following sentence. Trans and non-binary people like me are left smarting from the damaging impact of her words, which empower other public figures to make to promote a toxic, deeply regressive argument that denies trans women their humanity. This is about AJ, AJ Romano. Asia Romano. This is like who uses she pronouns, right? right. That, I, she that. I don't fucking know. This is about a person whose feelings are hurt because this feminist de- like de- de- declines to repeat a fucking platitude. Um, yeah, I want to make sure. Yeah, she uses they and she pronouns, so I feel like we're fine using she. We can call her she then. Yeah, I just. But again, it's like um, the the categories are so collapsed now that someone who's just. I just think there's like pretty important differences between people who face threats for being genuinely gender non-confirmed. I, I don't know, man. You're not supposed to say this, but it just seems so self-evidently true that these are like – we're lumping very different kinds of people under the same umbrella. And then some of them who maybe don't – it's like 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 you talk about like straight, nice, married, straight white ladies who say they're queer. 
pretending they have the same experience or face the same threat as like a gay person in a conservative country is just would be seen as offensive. Right. It's okay. So let's say a black trans woman, poor sex worker who doesn't pass is just not going to have the same experiences or be treated the same in, in society as someone as a natal female who appears female and calls themselves non-binary. <laughs> that like what you just said is considered incredibly offensive, but that's <laughs> ridiculous. And, and that's why this issue sucks up all the oxygen in the room because it is very like religious. The rules are complicated. It's so far from like if this conversation was like, should trans people get fired for being trans or get kicked out of their house, it would be, there'd be nothing to talk about because they obviously shouldn't. There's obviously a moral imperative and there's a moral imperative to get them the health care they need. But this gets very arcane and religious. And that's I think that's why people react so negatively to it. OK, so one more thing about this. Nick, a uh, friend of the pod, Nick Claremont, pointed this out. She, Asia Romano, goes on this like long, these like long tangents about J.K. Rowling in the piece and how she's problematic, blah, blah, blah. Like long tangents, half the piece is really about J.K. fucking Rowling. And she also at the same time manages to get the name of Adichie's book wrong. <laughs> um, she writes that her acclaimed novel is Half a Yellow Sun. It is called Half of a Yellow Sun. Gotham. Man, I find this – this was such a crazy – I guess overall I'm happy with how this, inter- this internet controversy went down because I did think people were overall siding with Adichie. I will say – and I pointed this out on Twitter – New York Times, NPR – Guardian, none of them mentioned the machete tweet, which is like that. That's a um, conspicuous thing to leave out because it's that can explain maybe help us determine who's in the right here or who we should side with, given that one person has mentioned the other person getting hacked to death with a machete for expressing beliefs probably held by 95% of humanity. Um, yeah. I, you know, in general, I like this trend of celebrity feuds becoming public, literary celebrity feuds being public. I hope that this uh, that this continues, that we can see like, I don't know, um, John Grisham and Dan Brown's uh, publishing open letters denouncing each other soon. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Although I think um, certain corners of the literary world, I think are a little bit crazier than, than others. Katie, it's crazy that you and I have never gotten into a um, a machete fight. Who do, who do you think would win and why? Here's what would happen. I would call in James Lindsay to come in with one of his swords. And oh, he would no. sword play you to death. You would tag him in? I would tag him in. He hates you more than he hates me. I'm sure of it. Definitely. I, I feel like you would have a little bit of um, a quickness advantage. Like you could run around me because it takes me like a full day to turn my body around. <laughs> but I have such longer arms than you that if I just got one lucky arm swipe. I uh, would just go for your knees. Yeah. My knees are pretty pretty swollen and vulnerable. Uh, We're going to have to do this at some time. Uh, when we, when we finally do a live show, we'll bring, uh, we'll bring machetes. And James Lindsay. He can produce it. <laughs> and James, Maybe he could be the guest. Speaking of which, people who aren't on Twitter sort of, I think, don't understand what has happened to James Lindsay. And in fact, we got a couple of emails and there was an interesting thread on our subreddit this week about what has happened to James Lindsay. So if anybody has any questions about why we find James Lindsay so distasteful, just look at his Twitter. Just look at his beef with the uh, the Auschwitz the Museum. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does it. He's repeatedly done it. So uh, this is such a silly thing to tangent off on the end of the year show, but like He's repeatedly tried to make a point about um, – so after after the Jews were herded into ghettos, including in Warsaw, they, they would live in horrific conditions and they would be 
disease would pop up. And then the Nazis and other anti-Semites would use that as, aha, see, the Jews are, are diseased, they're subhuman, after, you know, they were forced into those conditions. So Lindsay, in his very broken brain, has decided that has something to do with people being quarantined because they have coronavirus or or were threatened with exposure when it, it's just the most asinine and offensive analogy. And he's he's just a good example of what happens if you're on Twitter too much. I think that's why his brain has completely melted, but he's insufferable. He picks fights with people. He tries to bully people, although no one takes him seriously now, so he doesn't have the capital bully people. But I, I just – I'm surprised whenever anyone tells me that they think he's – um worth listening to. But I think more and more people get it at this point. Uh, he does have quite a, an army of reply, gli- reply guys who will uh, jump to his defense at any opportunity. I, like people were, Including when he is posting videos of him playing with swords. People are literally like, well, you know, if, if you read his his beef with the Auschwitz memorial in full context, he's making a fair... No, he's not. He's not making a fair point. So... Everyone just stop. Okay, so okay, it sounds like I would get in the. Ma- I would beat you in a machete fight. James Lindsay would chop my head off. So we got that yeah. clear. Okay, uh, this next clip, number three, third favorite, according to our listeners, is from episode seventy four. Let's just say that you'll find multiple <laughs> reasons to like it. No one can see this, but I'm winking as I say that. Multiple yeah. reasons to like it. Katie, do you get it? Do you get, I get it? it? I get it. Yes. So this has to do with uh, dissociative identity disorder, which has always been a very controversial sort of psychological phenomenon. It's uh, known colloquially as like multiple personality disorder. It is this phenomenon where people seem to have different personalities inside them. Like if I, for example, had one personality named Jesse, who was cool and nice and everyone liked him, but then also an embittered lesbian named Katie who everyone hated and I could sort of switch between the two of them and everyone liked Jesse and wanted to hang out with him but hated Katie and were like tempted to physically assault her for example I thought that your multiple personality or your alter was Chad Chadwick the third that's true there's also Chad Chadwick the third I also have a gamer alt a horse and fucker a podcast a- <laughs> a horse fucker. I also have a podcaster alt who, unfortunately, I am not usually. What's the? Oh shit! United. We'll get into this. There's a word. No, there's a word. Oh my! I'm not usually fronting him. Right, right. When I record podcasts, uh, I, I want to read one thing because I don't want to gloss over the fact that there's like some smart people are not sure this disorder, as it has been described, exists. This is an old Scientific American article by Scott Lilienfeld, who recently died, unfortunately, but is one of my favorite sort of skeptical clinical clinical psychologists, him and uh, another researcher named Hal Arkowitz. Here we go. If alters, those are the different personalities people with DID have, are not discrete personalities, as they argue, what are they? One hint. Individuals who develop DID often meet the diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and other conditions marked by instability. Indeed, a review in 1999 by one of us, Lillian Feld, and his colleagues found that between 35 and 71% of patients with dissociative identity disorder also have borderline personality disorder. Understandably, then, many individuals prone to DID are bewildered by their unstable moods, self-destructive behavior, impulsivity, and erratic relationships and are seeking an explanation for these disturbances. If psychotherapists or others ask suggestive questions such as, is it possible that a part of you you're not aware of is making you do and feel these things? 
patients may become convinced that their mind houses multiple identities. And Katie, you know a little bit about sort of the DID craze. There was a time when people were being diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder in like crazy numbers, right? Yeah. So there was a wave of diagnoses of multiple personality disorder around the same time as satanic panic. Um, There's at least one celebrity who claims to have it, and that was... uh, Oh, fuck, what's her name? Um, the one who got canceled for the, the ambient, the ambient tweet. <laughs> yeah. Roseanne Barr. Um, and it, it really started with the, at least popularly with the publication of a book in 1973 called Sybil, which was later turned into a movie. And Jurassic been- Park. Yes, this has been represented all over, uh, all over pop culture. Lots of movies about, about multiple personality disorder. Jesse, do you remember the movie Primal Fear? With Ed Norton, it's, I remember it being very good. I haven't seen it in years and years. Yeah, it was a very good movie. It's about a it's about a crime, and the guy who is uh, who is being accused of the crime claims to have multiple personality disorder. Um, it's totally worth watching. It's like from 1996 or something like that. Um, so we've seen this portrayed often throughout various facets of of, of of pop culture. That said, I'm pretty skeptical of it. Mul- the term itself, multiple personality disorder, went out of fashion because there was. Uh, it was so controversial. And so it's basically just been rebranded dissociative ad- identity disorder. So this thing that was in some circles considered debunked has now just adopted a new name and we're talking about it again. Yeah. So there is, from the point of view of the American psychiatric establishment, there is a thing in the DSM called uh, dissociative identity disorder. I believe that renaming was in uh, DSM-4, 1994, because I just Googled this. So yes. Now, I think for the discussion we're about to have, we should probably – table the discussion of whether it's ever real and assume that some people meet these symptoms as the DSM says. I found what Scott Lillianfeld and his co-author said very intriguing. If you take a a sort of unstable, disturbed person and you see it in their mind, the reason you feel this way is because you have multiple different alters. Based on what we know about human psychology, you can say therapists can induce memories and feelings in their patients. This is a pretty well-known phenomenon. So Sybil, the book that really started this whole thing, which was it was written by a woman named Flora uh, Ritter Scribner, and it was about the treatment of this woman who was called Sybil Dorset, that's a pseudonym, by her psychoanalyst. And subsequent reporting, and there's been a lot of reporting on this book, um, really cast doubt on the, the veracity of the diagnosis itself. Like some people found that she, that Sybil herself had been, uh, sort of prompted, had been hypnotized, that the psychiatrist, the psychoanalyst, excuse me, um, was, uh, was sort of coaxing her into this, into this, these symptoms. Yeah, and this is this is similar to when false memories of childhood sex abuse were were planted. And I, my understanding is DID often is seen as being connected to childhood trauma, leading to memory issues and such. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, so the reason we're bringing this all up is because there is a fascinating article in Input Magazine called Inside TikTok's Booming Dissociative Identity Disorder Community. I think I first heard about this on um, – Red Scare. So credit to them. And it's just, it's this fascinating article about these TikTok creators, some of whom have more than a million followers who. And a million personalities. And a million personalities. Okay. So here, here's a video from, um, the A, at the A system, who is one of the personalities input magazine profiles talking about, uh, just some of the stuff they've gone through recently. Hey, everybody. It's Chris. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you to everyone that has been there for us and just supported us through all of this. Everyone's really worried about us because of that rapid switching video, but what y'all don't understand is that was just a normal day for us. 
rapid switching like that is not something that's uncommon in the system and it's something that we have learned to live with. We're gonna try to film again if it does happen though. I guess when it happens because it really did help our communication during that time. Once again, thank you guys for everything and all the support. We're having a blast doing this and hope it continues. And if y'all stick around and if y'all are interested, it'll keep happening. We will continue to make content. Thank you guys so much. What's interesting to me about this is like he is basically saying and explaining the benefits of showing your symptoms on camera. If someone was there, there's one element of this that to me is good and harmless and destigmatizing. And that is like people with mental health problems talking about that and talking about how they get through their day. In this case, the sort of the brand of having dissociative identity disorder on TikTok clearly relies on being able to switch and being able to show your different alters. Right. Right. I mean, I see the potential for tremendous harm here because if you have someone who's an influencer who's presumably making money off of these videos in the the article, the person says like, even though uh, these creators have all have that I profiled all have their their Venmo and cash apps in their in their profiles, they say that they're not like making a living here. It's hard for me to imagine that anyone with a million followers isn't um, isn't making at least somebody some kind of yeah. money off of this um but i think there's there's real harm here because the, these things are contagious and if people think that this is real and i'm not convinced that it is real the more people we're going to see adopting this identity because it is an identity it's not just a diagnosis it's an actual identity well it's both like that we know that mental health symptoms can be contagious so it could be both right yeah okay so so let me give an example of how like it it seems impossible that there isn't an element of acting and performance here this is one by system spouse who i believe is the a systems spouse and it, it's titled april and asher daily hey april i have a question what do you want you want to be on camera if I do that, then I'd have to like go shave and fix the hair and do all that stuff. So why don't you just go do that real fast? Because I really don't want to. If I'm going on camera, I'll just do it like this. You're going to look so pretty on camera. This is why nobody likes you. And if you watch the video, you'll see like it just it switches back between the two of them just having a conversation as these two alters, one male, one female. And, and, and when you say the two of them... You're not talking about two people. You're talking about one person. One person who just has a slightly different voice, same outfit, same everything. And and you couldn't really film this unless the person could sort of switch at will. And and it just seems like someone playing two different characters. And it, it just seems like unless there's this thing where they're like waiting for the right alters to show up to film this in this smooth way where it's just a back and forth conversation that it's impossible. This is just the natural switching that sometimes occurs supposedly with people with dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. It's really hard to believe that this isn't acting. Yeah. And, and again, like the other thing is a lot of these dissociative identity disorder influencers seem to have some alters that just so happen to have marginalized identities. Like it's very common for a male uh, influencer in this space to have at least one alter who is female and who is trans, therefore, and, and talk about their gender dysphoria. This is something that article brings up. Dude, I want to I see one of these where the alter is, it's like a white man and his alter is a black woman. 
Oh my god! I mean, why? Uh, How quickly like, would you get canceled for that? If if it is the case that this can go across ages and genders, why would it? I mean, we're sort of recycling other arguments, but but the point is, what's interesting here is it clearly gives a TikTok influencer who might otherwise be seen as a boring white guy some currency without even having to have their main personality be anything but a, a, a boring white guy. I also. Um, as the Input Magazine article notes, there's a subreddit dedicated to calling out and making fun of the worst of these. It's called... Um, DID Cringe. Yeah, it's called DID Cringe. And as they point out, in a lot of cases, one alter will be neurotypical, but then another alter will have autism. So you will see someone switching from just like normal seeming interactions to what appears to be a little bit of a caricature of someone with an autism spectrum disorder. A little bit problematic. What I wonder about this is how are you cognizant of one alter taking over? That's interesting. I mean, I think it's just do you just feel your your present the fronting alter, meaning the present alter like receding? That like Subjectively, it must be a really weird experience, assuming it's real. Assuming it's real. <laughs> so one of the more interesting parts of the Input Magazine article is the difference between what like clinicians say and then what the influencers themselves say. I'm just going to read a little bit here. Dr. Robert T. Muller, a professor of clinical psychology at York University in Toronto and author of Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up from Avoidance to Recovery and Growth, here's what he says. I've never worked with someone with DID who has felt it to be an okay way of living, Muller says when asked about multiplicity, multiplicity is just people having multiple alters in day-to-day life, the DID clients I've worked with have found their DID to be a state of profound suffering. He did not, however, rule out the possibility of multiplicity working. I would never want to impose a version of self upon somebody that they don't themselves actually endorse, he says. Just because I've never seen it doesn't make it untrue. It sort of seems like he's like... He could get in hot water just for explaining what the clinical recommendations are that like, ideally, we should have it not be the case that you present as 15 different people every day. You would think that this would make things like getting a job very difficult. Like, do you have different resumes for your different alters? I mean, for with one alter, you can apply for positions where they're looking for a marginalized person. <laughs> and then for the management positions, you want to be a white guy. <laughs> So yeah, the, the, the article then jumps back and we'll, we'll, we'll move on from this one article soon, but the article then says... Arelli, the 25-year-old host of The Cloud, a system of eight that has 52,600 followers, feels the stance presented by Mueller is an outdated one. Formerly, it was very common that the treatment for DID was to progress towards what we call final fusion, where all the identity states become one, she explains. Nowadays, a lot of therapists are embracing functional multiplicity as either a portion of their treatment process or the final goal. To me, this is like a little bit redolent of like the idea of a doctor saying, well, you're 600 pounds, but that's just who you are. Who am I to say you should lose weight? <laughs> Multiple personality positive. I will say in this article's defense, uh, after sort of platforming the view of a 25-year-old influencer who benefits directly from having multiplicity or whatever you want to call it, it goes back to Dr. Panagiota Karenzis. Karenzis? Karenzis? Whatever. It's a good name. Uh, this is someone at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, and they basically say like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I think our idea of like she, – she, they say getting medical advice from people on TikTok is not my clinical recommendation. <laughs> Probably a good idea. This article was interesting. What bothered me about it was at no point does the author grapple with the fact that this might not actually exist, at least not in any uh, explicit way. 
Yeah. And like doesn't even really get into the controversy about this being largely debunked in many circles. No, it's like a little bit of the he said, she said, even just for treatment where it's like the, it seems like the influencers get almost as much time as the doctors. I don't think she talks to any doctors who actually, or the author, I don't know the pronouns who, um, any, any doctors who are like, yes, it's good for people to have multiples. And to me, the last point I want to make about this is just like, there are so many parallels between this and the gender dysphoria stuff. Besides the fact that all of these people are these. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, I get so many comments from people saying, why does everyone have DID all of a sudden? Says 28-year-old Chelsea, the Kentucky-based host of a familiar world, a DID system of 12. The system (laughs) – sorry. I need to be more accepting. I'll try not to laugh. No, you don't. You really don't. The system includes three child alters under the age of 10, Katie, Clara, and Nadine, as well as teenagers Anna Grace, Shelby, Danny, Effie, and Lucy. How does she how does she schedule them all at school? I know, I know. The logistics are impossible. That's like fifteen students who are not getting educated. <laughs> Somebody just, needs to call CPS on this person. None of them are gonna know how to read. Uh this account this account <laughs> has attracted more than 172,000 followers since March 2021. It doesn't happen all of a sudden, Chelsea explains. We've always had it. We just didn't feel safe enough to come out. So this is exactly similar to some of the debates raging about gender dysphoria. We're like could it possibly be the case that in some instances there's an element of contagion or or even incentives to say you have this thing? Nope, we just always had it. It just happens to be the case all these people are coming out at once. And obviously, as something becomes destigmatized, like there's some truth to that, but at a certain point you should probably ask some questions about contagion and whether like situations where you are incentivized to exaggerate your symptoms or present them when they're at their worst might not be the most healthy thing in the world. If it were true that these people have always had this, you would think there would be a rash of children being diagnosed with it or parents even talking about the fact that, oh my God, some days Timmy is Timmy and some days Timmy is Tammy. One thing I'm very curious about is what all these people's lives look like when they are not recording themselves for TikTok videos. (sighs) That is a good question. I just want to delegitimize as many people suffering with mental illness as possible. That's so good of you, Chad. Chad Chadwick. Yes, I'm Chad right now. That's uh, the altar I'm fronting. Um, <laughs> I can tell you sound a little blonder. I guess that's it. I'll include links. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. I don't think it's impossible that this exists. And obviously the DSM says it does. And we know whatever psychiatrists say is true is definitely true. For sure. Uh, I just – I found these videos difficult to watch. But we'll, we'll see what other people think. Yeah, because they're cringe as hell. They're extremely cringe. Okay, that's enough about dissociative identity disorder. We will be back. Katie, how many uh, alters do you have at the moment? I've always just got the three. Katie and who? <laughs> Katie, Katie, and Katie. They all Katie, go by Katie, the same Katie. name. Yes, but they're very different. <laughs> I'm gonna. I tweeted this yesterday, but I think that like the name Katie has never really suited me. It's never really felt authentic, you know. I think I need a more because I'm, you know, I'm gender neutral. I think I need a more gender neutral name, and the one that I've chosen is Jesse. So okay, well, I've just legally changed my name to Katie, so we're both one one step ahead of the other. <laughs> Would you, if Perfect. you could, um, have a okay? Let's say it's this is gonna make you start crying again, but let's say it's ten years from now. And Moose is, you know, oh. dying a little bit. 
and you could have a procedure to put Moose's soul inside your body and then you just carry it around inside you forever, would you do that or would you let him have his piece? Oh, that's a good question. If I could carry him around. You know, it's not his like soul that, that I really love. It's his body, to be honest with you. He's just so cute. I do keep – so I have these – I wear the same pair of pants basically every day. And at some point – I don't know how this happened. But a little clump of Moose's hair got – lodged into my the pocket of these pants and it's stuck it's like there was like gum in my pocket and now the gum is has like a little tuft of moose fur on it and when i'm just like sitting around i just put my hand in my pocket and i just feel it and it just makes me feel close to moose okay so uh number two is from episode 87 (laughs) the lead into this is that as you may recall back in october there was a protest at netflix over dave Chappelle. so in the episode, we talked a bit about this. And then in the segment you're going to hear, we got into a very strange incident involving the Associated Press. This is number two. My key takeaway of this whole rally was, and this is not probably what anyone was going for, but was that was hilarious. Why was it hilarious, Katie? Okay, so there's a comic named... Vito Giswaldi and uh, his friend Dick Masterson, they co-host a podcast together. They sh- so they showed up at the protest. Vito also has like a pretty big YouTube yeah. channel that I've, I've enjoyed since this. Yeah, we'll put we'll put links in the show notes. Um, so there were a couple of uh, of like gender critical feminists. Apparently, I didn't see any evidence of this, but people were tweeting that there were some like quote unquote turfs there. But these two guys really were were the counter protesters that everybody counter protesters that everybody paid attention to because they were hilarious. So they showed up at these protests with <laughs> with handmade signs. One said, "I like jokes," and one said, "I like Dave." And let's just yeah. play some of the audio here. So this is them sort of like marching around saying we like jokes and we like Dave. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. So very, very heated. He said he said at one point, I forget, I, I ended up DMing with him either on his YouTube page or on his um in our conversation. He said that at one point someone came up to him and was like started changing the chant to like Black Lives Matter as though he'd be offended by that. And he just joined in because he's like, Yeah, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it's a great moment. This woman like tries to sort of block him with her own sign and starts chanting this. And he's just like, yeah, just totally shifts to Black Lives Matter. It's really good. Okay, so these two guys just sort of mill around the protest for a while chanting, I like jokes, I like Dave, Black Lives Matter. Um, and then there's this this alternately amazing, but also like deeply fucked up moment. So let's play Jesse the second clip. Wait, is that Vito? Is that Vito singing? Yes. <laughs> That was the one point where I was like, he's being particularly provocative. He said that um, at the point where that clip starts, everyone is chanting trans lives matters and he's chanting with them. Now he's doing that while he has the... So he's chanting it, and this guy grabs his We Like Dave jokes are funny side, and then the first fucked up thing is he grabs it from him and breaks it. He's like, it is it is technically an assault. You can't do that publicly. We'll see what happens legally. But then the most fucked up thing is 
Then the most fucked up thing is this dude who has apparently been identified. Um, I, I don't want to say his name, but he appears to be an actual TV writer. He takes the guy's Vito's sign, tears the sign off so that Vito's only left with a stick. And then referencing the stick, the guy goes, he's got a weapon. Yeah. And then a bunch of other people join in, as you can hear in that tape. I, I, it, that's like, as I said on Twitter, and, and Vito is so amused by this. He starts being like, oh, he's got a weapon. But like, it's a little bit dangerous in a, in oh, a crowd totally where dangerous. people could panic to shout he's got a weapon because either people panic and then who knows what happens. Or if there's a cop around, who knows how they'll react? Like this is, again, we keep doing this like what if the other side did it. But can you imagine a situation where a counter protester um, like pulled down a Black Lives Matter guy's sign and said he's got a weapon? There would be talk that it was attempted murder. People would be out of their fucking minds. Yeah, it's a really fucked up thing to do. And he did it while all of these cameras are on him, too. And that's another thing is that there were probably more press than there were actually protesters here. So it's not it's not like he did this where nobody could see what he was fucking doing. Yeah. So so when I was DMing with Vito, he um, he estimated and he one of the reasons I trust him, he was pretty clear when he wasn't sure about something. He said, we should rely on aerial shots. But he estimated that the ratio of protesters to media was two to one. So only twice as many protesters as media, which is not a sign of a well-attended rally. I'd sort of like that uh, after the um, the Trump the Trump inauguration and there's that famous photo of all of these, there's like 20 photographers taking, there was some like riots in DC and uh, there's like 20 photographers taking, taking <laughs> like photographing one trash can that's been set on fire. Yeah, yeah, and then there was also like it was going to be like the um oh god, the anniversary of the election there was going to be some big nationwide right-wing protest but then no one showed up. It was oh, all media. Yeah. Totally. I forget the exact incident but yeah, anyway. Okay, so uh so so this happens, this guy grabs Vito's sign, breaks it and then shouts that he's got a weapon and Vito's sort of he's like laughing about this like, "Okay, he's got a weapon, sure." And then uh and then this happens. Drop my weapon? Yes. Get in the. There's my weapon. Excuse me. I'm not destructing anything. Yeah, so <laughs> I think probably we have to start with Repent Motherfucker. Why don't you describe what's going on there with Repent Motherfucker? <laughs> okay, so so Vito gets sort of pushed out of this crowd, and then this woman, possibly non-binary, possibly a trans guy who fucking knows, looks like a woman, uh, and you can tell, like, very shrill from the voice, is, like, in his face, has a tambourine, like, covered in feathers, and starts screaming, Repent, motherfucker, as though it is an exorcism. It is, if, the, if you need any more evidence that this is a religious movement, this is it. This is it. <laughs> 
if she had only shaken the tambourine with like a higher tempo, I think there would have been like a Ghostbusters style moment where all the transphobia <laughs> just shoots out of Vito into the sky. And so he's clearly very amused by this. The whole thing is ridiculous. These people, like when he eventually like drops his stick, when the when he leaves, like these those protesters seem to think that they have somehow won this fight, which is in itself very funny. Um, but this is how how Variety framed it. This is a, a tweet that Variety posted along with a big picture of Vito. Uh, at times, the Netflix walkout situation threatened to devolve as counter-protesters pushed against trans speakers. Fucking insane. Yeah, so they eventually deleted the tweet after there was lots of pushback because it was clearly a, a, a completely off-base way of framing this conflict. And then they, uh, they, they tweeted this. The photo attached to an earlier version of the above tweet did not accu- accurately illustrate the reporting from the story. We apologize for any confusion. Yeah, and and just to be clear, what makes it so dishonest is there's there's no okay. For, I didn't know this going in because I wasn't familiar with the guy's work. One of this dude's things for his YouTube channel is he goes to protests and does gimmicky stuff. So, do you remember the the Kendall Jenner ad where like about Pepsi? The, yeah, the Pepsi. Yeah, it was a, it was a terrible ad. She like goes to a protest and starts handing out like Black Lives Matter protesters Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. Just a fucking tone deaf. So yeah. so Vito did a couple of these at like crazy Berkeley protests. One of them, he buys four racks of Pepsis and he tries to get between Antifa protesters and right wing protesters. <laughs> <laughs> bring them together with Pepsis and the Antifa guys start using the Pepsis as like projectiles to throw at their eyes. And then another one, he goes to another, this was I think 2017, um, similar protest. He walks around like an old timey snack vendor so he's got he's got this box in front of him with he's like get your peanuts here dollar dollar for a packet of peanuts. A lot of people out here today. A lot of hungry people. Well, good. Enjoy a day out in the in this beautiful summer sun here. Big hubbub today. Could use yourself a break, and nothing's a better break than a delicious bag of my authentic popping corn. Just buy my snacks. Why isn't this working? <laughs> and nobody wants his peanuts. And the the highlight comes when an Antifa guy or a black block guy or one of these fuckers sees that he has these two little American flags in his peanut box. And he says they symbolize colonialism and he takes the American <laughs> flags and he burns them. <laughs> so all, all of which is to say Vito Gisualdi, however you say his last name, um, he has a lot of experience wading into these situations and trying to get videos out of them. And he's not an aggressive guy. He's this schlumpy, soy boy looking, facial hair fat. He says this about himself, fat guy. And what makes the, the Variety's tweet so insane and so dishonest is there is no moment where Vito is institu- instigating physical contact with the trans protesters. It never not only, it never happens. And if you're familiar with his work, it would be very surprising because it just goes against what he does. It was really dishonest. And it seems like they intentionally made that up. Right. I mean, even using the term counterpresser, I guess he is a counterpresser, but he's also a comic. Like you like he's a he's a troll, basically. He's a very funny troll, but he's a troll. And by using this photo of him, and he is a big beardy white dude, plenty of people are gonna look that and assume that he's some like fucking MAGA dude um, just because of this this headline. Yeah. So that was one really dishonest um, treatment of the image of him. The second, and to my- And yet not the worst. Not the worst by far. The second and way worse one, this is from an Associated Press photo caption. And again, this is the AP, one of the most respected news agencies in the world. So this is a photo. <laughs> it was actually a great photo. It's him like looking like 
sort of angry or screamy through the circle of the tambourine. It's like sort of framed perfectly. <laughs> so they got right next to Crazy Tambourine Girl. And he said, um, them. Tambourine Girl is definitely you, a they, them. they, them. Whatever. Okay, whatever they are. Because, yeah. Probably a them. I'm not meaning to misgender. Um, but here's the headline. Comedian and videographer Vito Giswaldi screams profanities as he engages with peaceful protesters begging him to leave. He's saying, I like jokes. At this, and I, so I did a long tweet from a link to, because you can tell from features in the photo exactly when in the video this is, and you can match them up. At the moment, he's accused of screaming profanities. He's saying things like, why all the hate? I just like Dave. Wait, you have, I've, got the, I've got the exact quote right here. Okay. I'm just here to say that jokes are funny people. Dave Chappelle's a funny guy. I love Dave. I don't know why all the violence. I don't know why all the hate. I just love Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Woo. I'm just here to say that jokes are funny people. Dave Chappelle is a funny guy. I love Dave. I don't know why all the violence. I don't know why. So one of the things I struggle with is like among conservatives, there's a lot of distrust of mainstream outlets. And I, in the last few years, have trusted them less and less. When a conservative, and to be clear, I don't think that Vito is a conservative. No, by no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm not meaning to call him that. Yeah. I think he's sort of like he has the politics you'd expect of a, a liberal, f- pro free speech YouTube comic type. And we have a situation where nothing in this caption is true. He did not scream profanity ever. And the the protesters weren't peaceful. Twenty seconds before this, they stole a sign and tore it up. And just. Uh, Trying to think about how this could happen is very strange. I also I happened to get drinks last night with a couple of friends, one of whom is in the world of like photo stuff for a major outlet. He said that it's actually unusual that you would have an AP uh, photo caption that's that that editorializes that much. Like even just mm-hmm. like the screaming profanities, the peaceful protesters. It was clearly tilted against him and. Why should people trust the media when they can take a photo of a guy saying, I like Dave, why all the hate and turn that into this guy screaming profanities at peaceful protesters? That's just it's really disturbing. And also what what would have happened if we hadn't had video of this? Right. And the other thing about this is the AP. So the AP is a wire service. So Vito pointed this out on Twitter himself. This had this wasn't just in like one paper. This was all over the place. Because so many different papers use AP as a wire service. So this photo and this headline was fucking everywhere. So I reached out to them yesterday. I did a big tweet storm about it. By the time I got to it, Vito had already complained about what's sort of crazy, like not the craziest, but I think pretty crazy is how the eventual correction the AP sent out to everyone read. It reads... Comedian and videographer Vito Giswaldi shouts at people protesting against Dave Chappelle's Netflix special outside the Netflix building, blah, blah, blah. Even that, like that combined with the photo, how the photo looks, you would think he was shouting at protesters. He's never, again, this is not as objectively false, but it's clearly designed to make it look like he's the aggressive one. He's just been sort of marched out of the circle and his sign taken. He's not screaming at anyone. He's doing this sort of impromptu tongue-in-cheek it's a speech. Bit. It's a bit. It's right. So uh, so yeah. the question I have is, how does this happen? Did the photo editor just not watch the video and just make the assumption that this guy was bad? Or did the photo editor watch the video and then just straight up lie about what happened? Yeah, I, when I reached out to the AP, I did ask for any inf- 
information they had about the authorship of the caption. They did not say anything about that in their response to me. To be fair, they could still be investigating, but I, it's hard to come up with like how, I don't know, whatever. I just got in trouble for speculating. All I'll say is it it looks really bad and it absolutely provides fodder for people who, you know, maybe a little bit curious about Alex Jones, about Fox News, about Owan. Uh, Vito actually went on Owan. He went on InfoWars, yeah. He went on InfoWars? Yeah, today. Fucking Vito, dude. I mean, he's a comedian. He's not going to – well, I asked him if he – tongue-in-cheek if he'd gotten any mainstream media hits or just Nazi ones, and he said just Nazi ones. Is he? I wonder, yeah, has he gotten any even requests, even comment requests from the media? It sounded like he did. Besides us. I mean, both of us reached out to him. But um, Okay, so speaking of terrible coverage, so back to this variety story for a second. I just want to highlight one thing. Um, Jesse, you're familiar with uh, Joey Nagel Soloway? Yeah. Which which directions? Oh, formerly, are we dead now? Formerly, so it's now Joey, used to be Jill. Uh, so Soloway, I'm just going to say Soloway. Soloway uh, was the showrunner for the show Transparent, which is about, which is like their, um, the story of their father. The show was, of course, canceled after Jeffrey Tambor was, had some Me Too allegation. Um, Soloway, when Soloway started this show, she was, she married to a man, uh, very feminine started working on the show and then like two years later came out as non-binary and changed their name to Joey. Their sister is also non-binary now. So that's at least two out of three in the family. So I heard someone who worked with uh, Joey Soloway back when they were Jill Soloway. And I'm not going to say what this person's position is just to protect them. But uh, basically what they told me is that when they worked with Jill Soloway, she at the time was obsessed with the divine feminine and doing witchy feminist shit because that was really in fucking six years ago. And then now they're into non-binary shit. So <laughs> surprise, surprise. Like was witchy was witchy stuff in five or six years ago? I guess I wasn't. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean it still is in some in some circles, but yes, like like astrology, tarot, all of that shit, potions. I mean, I guess this doesn't land in like gamer Brooklyn circles, but this is fucking huge within like Feminist circles, yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that Soloway was a producer on Six Feet Under. That's like one of my favorite shows ever. So, I mean, I think they've done some good work, but also uh, let's just get to the quote. So, so yeah. Soloway spoke at this at the the, the, the march that the walkout. Here's what they said: Trans people are in the middle of a holocaust. Apartheid, murder, a state of emergency, human rights crisis, there's a mental health crisis, there's a suicide crisis, a bullying crisis, an anxiety, depression, self-hatred, state of emergency crisis. But trans people are also out here dreaming, dreaming of safety, dreaming to be alive, dreaming to be human, to belong and have some time, which is privilege. (laughs) It's First of all, it's fucking word salad, but let's just focus on that first sentence. Trans people are in the middle of a holocaust. Hilariously, Joey Soloway is also Jewish. You would think that Joey Soloway, of all people, would be able to recognize the fucking Holocaust when they see one. The, the I've only seen like maybe a season of Transparent, and I really liked it. And it's way more about like secular Jewish culture and Jewish family dynamics, at least early on, than trans stuff per se. I thought it captured that really well. But the, I, it's I don't know. I guess like we've talked about this before, but all the incentives in some areas are to like exaggerate and make it seem like the world is ending. To say. Trans people are experiencing a Holocaust. A is just like a really fucked up comparison, but it just it doesn't help trans people to make it sound like they're like they can't leave their house or they're going to get like murdered. I I just this stuff drives me. It's not good, and and we've made the same critique about like some people who overstate 
the degree of police violence and stuff like that is just not good. It is it is deeply unhealthy to tell people that every time that they leave their house, they're going to be murdered by a cop. It's deeply unhealthy to tell people who are in no particular danger that they are in the middle of a holocaust. And how can you be a good ally and fucking say that sort of thing? And I'm sure Joey Soloway probably believes this because this is probably the shit that Joey Soloway's friends all fucking believe too. But it's not true. Trans people are in the middle of a holocaust. Does she know what a, I'm sorry, do they know what a holocaust is? Maybe they've just never heard that word before. So And it just seemed like a, a big <laughs> It is a good word. I mean, technically a good word. You know what? They didn't say the Holocaust. They said a Holocaust. When I was at New York Magazine and started reporting on the youth gender stuff, I got a call at my desk from an activist whose name I won't say. She's a trans woman. She said that uh, the situation for trans people in America is like the situation uh, for Jews in Germany in 1938. That was the specific comparison. And I... I think I just sort of like what did you do? blinked a few times. I did not like <laughs> lash out at her. I think I just said, okay, like, thanks for calling. But that's, there is something going on in some of these communities where it's just like a, a, this like recirculating panic for, and it's just, it's not like there aren't important challenges, even just like access to basic healthcare, but that's not a healthy way to live your life to think you're about to be rounded up and sent to a camp and gassed to death. It's not great. Right. And what Variety should have done instead of just repeating this quote as though it's true is add some context. But they didn't do that because clearly Variety also has an agenda here. And the agenda here isn't to get to the truth of it. It's to further whatever the the fucking Netflix protesters want. It seems like a lot of mainstream outlets that covered Soloway's quotes like literally just left that one out, which is weird that you would leave out far and away like the juiciest quote. But Well, because it makes – I mean it makes – Jill Soloway looks look fucking stupid. Makes him look bad. Yeah, I find Jill Soloway or Joey Soloway interesting. So they so they came out as non-binary after, you know, started this show. The show had a ton of like trans and non-binary staffers, got like deeply involved in this culture, starts dating Eileen Miles, the famed poet who also has now a they them. Um, and then just, you know, sort of seamlessly uh abandons one identity and fits into the next. But it's not a social contagion. <sighs> Uh, no comment. I mean, I, there is this thing where it could it could both be a legitimate thing they're feeling, but it also seems to like match up with like what what does give you some degree within your institutions of like power to to be in that status at the moment. And like you're saying with like the, I just don't want to speculate about someone else's like. Well, look, I mean, it's not like like Joey Soloway has never come out and said, like, I have gender dysphoria. They haven't done anything to change their physical body. Yeah, but that, but right now, but right now, the norms among trans people is like, you can be what... Right. But at some point, like, it just, just becomes fucking stupid. At some point, we have to be able to, like, to say what is actually going on here. You don't have gender dysphoria. You enter into a community filled with trans and queer people, and all of a sudden, you become one of them. Yeah, it it it, it was probably professionally helpful, but I don't know. It could... I don't think it's even professionally helpful. I mean, probably she had like a little bit of dyke within her and they. this, they, whatever. And then this is, I'm not saying that this was the wrong move from them, but I am saying that this is, uh, this is further evidence that this is part of a social contagion. You move into a community and all of a sudden your entire fucking family, you, your entire family are all come out as non-binary. Yeah. You're just, I mean, you're just getting yourself in trouble because you're speculating about. I'm not getting in trouble because everybody knows how I feel about this stuff. I think the non-binary thing is silly and I think it's destructive and regressive and it annoys me that you have people who considered themselves powerful feminist women two years ago are all of a sudden decide that they're not even fucking female. Not just not a woman, but not female. I'm teaming up with Michael Hobbs on a new podcast to take you down. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm sure it'll be a huge success. Um, yeah, I, I think the Holocaust analogy, I think very controversial that maybe not everything is the Holocaust. That's my view. Jesse, 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 spoken like a real space Jew. <laughs> Straight from space. Was there anything else on the... I mean, I guess I just want to, uh, in in leaving this behind and hopefully never talking about it again, I just do want to point out that like how bad the journalism was and how little evidence there is that Chappelle's thing was offensive to huge swaths of people. I, I just, I, people have every right to be offended. They have every right to walk out if they think their company crossed the line. But um, just, I, wh- where's the evidence that this was like actually a big deal? It, didn't it seem like wish casting yeah. on the part of outlets like they yeah, wanted yeah. this to be a huge deal uh, last thing i want to say about this i find it very surprising how few big deal famous comedians have come out and said anything about this um wanda sykes uh billy eichner have all come out and vito vito giswaldi yeah, vito have come out and criticized dave uh damon wayans like got like stopped by tmz and said something in support of him but he, he said it in, and i hope this was a joke he said dave freed the slaves and by slaves i mean comics <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I very much hope that was a joke. Um, but for the most part, people that you might expect to either defend their friend or defend the right of comedians to be offensive, people like Sarah Silverman, like Bill Burr, like Ricky Gervais, have been radio fucking silent on this. And I find that very telling. You, have, I mean, like Rogan. You're not surprised about, about – um Sarah Silverman. She's fr- she she defended him like three months ago for other shit. Like she's friends with this man. Awesome. Yes, she's friends with him. Michelle Wolf said something like Hannah Gadsby said something uh, shitty about him on Instagram, and Hannah Gad uh, and Michelle Wolf was in the comments like criticizing her. But for the most part, like you have Joe Rogan and people like that who are already sort of out of the mainstream talking about this, but none of the big guns have come out and said anything about this. And it's not just about fucking Dave. They should be concerned for themselves. I think they're all cowards, frankly. I find there to be something so loathsome about there's a type of comedian or comedy writer who like, I've mentioned this before, but I'm a big 30 Rock fan. And a lot of those episodes from 2012, 2013 had very offensive jokes that would get people yeah. in trouble today. It's like when that is the uh, the way the tides are going, you make those jokes. And then it's like they're just – they're, they're yep. cowards. They're, no one they're will cowards. stand up for the principles, which are that like sometimes you make jokes about fucked up shit, which is something that has always been the case. And should always be the case because they're jokes. Space they're juice. Jokes. Space <laughs> juice. Katie, I am still so relieved that no one was hurt or killed by Vito Giswaldi's violence. He's a fucking <laughs> madman. He's got a weapon. He's got a weapon. <laughs> so I wonder dumb. if anything happened with the guy who somebody was actually assaulted at that. Not not Vito, but his friend was was like actually Dick assaulted. Masterson, at this. right? He was like, yeah. I wonder if I think like, they reported it to the police. I wonder if anything ever happened. This idea that you can just fucking assault people, I'm against that. I know that's controversial. Hey, hey, if it's a good for a good cause, like getting Dave Chappelle off of a off of a stage. Did you see the um Raphael Bob Waksberg tweets about Netflix? No, I don't know who that is. So he's the he's the creator of Bojack Horseman, which is a brilliant mm-hmm. show that like deals with like very Bojack deals with very dark themes and the sorts of themes that were traditionally censored. I mean, sex and drugs and addiction. And he did this tweet storm about where he's wondering out loud how it was that Dave Chappelle's allowed to say whatever he wants on Netflix. Why why wasn't Netflix able to exert editorial control over Dave Chappelle's act? So we're at a point where where like really famous creative types are openly saying, I want the suits at Netflix to be able to say when Dave Chappelle used words that were too bad. That makes absolute sense for a creator. 
It's really, it's really crazy. Do better, everybody. Do better. There's a um, so Dave Chappelle is coming to Seattle in January, and Seattle Pride released a statement complaining about it, and they said that they demand that this is postponed until he says sorry and means it. L- literally, it said that it was like until he apologizes sincerely, not just apologizes, but it has to be sincere. Uh, not exactly throwing bricks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure it will sell out. Yeah. Uh, well, I just hope Dave Chappelle can be brought to justice in the new year and or at least reckon with the harm he's done. Sincerely. Sincerely, us. Okay, your number one special segment, whatever, of the year. This is it. Our listeners' favorite segment of the year. Our Lord, 2021. So maybe a month ago... I don't know. Time doesn't have any meaning anymore. But I told everyone about uh, one of my rare forays to the club, also known the as club. the club. Yes. Here's here's the tape from the time of how I described the music I encountered when I entered the club. It was a very hard driving techno. Be like, and then there was this vocal loop that was, I swear to God. So imagine sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking and. I was like, this is awesome. I had no idea that I love techno music. So I'm just jumping up and down, like sucking and fucking and sucking and <laughs> just, just women are mobbing me. They're like, oh my God, it's a blocked and reported guy. <laughs> After I told this story of that music, of the sucking and fucking, you know, um, the subreddit sprung into action and they quickly figured out that this song was by an artist called Traxman, T-R-A-X-M-A-N. Traxman? I mean, that's a little binary, Jesse. There's already an X in there, so it'd be Traxmixin. Uh, the song is called... Sucking and fucking. Fucking yeah. sucking. No, just fucking sucking. There's no and. And it, the fucking has a sort of um, underscores, like underlines, to bleep it out. Your dad is so upset right now. There should have been a trigger warning at the beginning of this podcast just for your father. Content warning for dads. So, okay, so first... Our subreddit did the amazing thing of finding me this song. Uh, I'll play a few seconds of it right here. That that was a song I heard. I might have heard like a remix of it, but that's definitely it. Good job, subreddit. Uh, And then the even better thing was recently... A uh, amateur music producer type who listens to the show who goes by the name Saka Judea. <laughs> Problematic. <laughs> he decided to create a song from our segment about this song. Here's what he came up with. Remix. Sucking it, fucking it, sucking it, fucking it. Tight confined space. Who am I to resist? 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 Sucking and fucking and 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 fucking and sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking and Katie, how did this affect your belief in God? 
Uh, you know, I would say I'm still agnostic on that position, but what I do know is that we have a new theme song. <laughs> Every episode. So uh, thank you, Saka Judea. Just to be clear, I, I want Thank you. I don't know if thanks is actually the word that thank I would use Thank you. This. I, dude, I'm listen to this every night i'm gonna play it during intimate situations like i'm gonna change this to my ringtone for you this song is gonna be passed down through the generations of singles forever i singles is right i asked saka judea if he wanted if he had like a soundcloud or some shit he said no don't worry about it but uh saka judea you will be in our hearts forever i'm going to upload the entire mp3 and then uh give you guys a place to download it from check the show notes Maybe if anyone's interested, maybe we can get the isolated vocals so other people can make other uh, yeah, remixes. Yeah, let's not. Let's not do that. Yeah, let's let's reorient the podcast let's around not do that. that. We're going to be a, a full-on clerbing podcast, just updates from the clerb. Sacagudea, you shined a bright light into my miserable December existence, and I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Katie, I learned so much about sucking and fucking this year i hate this i do not understand why people think that this <laughs> was the best segment of the year it's hugely disappointing It's because i'm the star people people are obsessed with my go-go lifestyle i'm always at the club how many people voted in this poll like was it just like we you got, and your brother I, your brother wouldn't even choose this it was was it you and your girlfriend the winning segment got it got into the mid to high two-figure votes <laughs> i'm gonna check wait let me check right now yeah that's 66 votes it, and it, but also percentage wise, he's got a weapon. Only got forty four. Suck and fuck got sixty six. So that's it. It, it got fifty percent more votes. Our listeners have terrible taste. That's what this tells me. I love you, listeners. You're the reason I keep doing this. It's definitely not Katie. God, do better. This is pathetic. Well, pathetic or no, I appreciate everyone. Uh, joking aside, this was our first full year doing this. It's pretty amazing. We get to do this for a living. We had a lot of fun doing it. Anything else you want to add, Katie? We should probably do our housekeeping here at the end of the episode, since we did oh, a yeah. in the middle. We are about to record an episode about- uh, A penis. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. It's about a very big penis. Very big. This episode doesn't involve me. This is about uh, a, a piece that came out recently in New York Magazine. It is very interesting about a trans man's phalloplasty. If you are interested in listening to this, join us at blockedandreported.org. For just $5 a month, you get three extra episodes of this podcast every month, including The Big Penis Show. You can also give this as a gift because, uh, well, you probably, if on the public feed, Christmas will have already passed. But if you so, forgot your Christmas, late Christmas gift, gift, Boxing yeah, Day. Well, Boxing. Don't forget Boxing Day. Uh, yeah, you can always reach out to us at blockedreportedpodcast uh, at gmail.com. Check out our subreddit, blockedreported.reddit.com. Buy our merch at our website. Anything else, Katie? Yep. Mm, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you guys so oh, much. What? Uh, we're going to be off next week. Oh, yeah. We're taking next week off just to um, – Deal with the trauma of working with one another and or celebrate. (laughs) We'll be back January 3rd with a new episode that I think will be pretty interesting. It's about a, eh, you'll see. You'll see. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, 2022 will be the year of sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, science is God. Sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking and tight confined space. Who am I? To resist. Tight confined space. Who am I to resist? Tight confined space. Who am I to resist? Tight confined space. Who am I to resist? 
sucking and fucking and 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 sucking and Fucking it, 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 fucking it